Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, I'm Rohit from LifeSelfMastery.com and today I'm excited to have Emmanuel Strashnov, who's the founder of Bubble, which is a visual programming tool which allows anyone to build and host web applications uh, without having to write code or hire a team of engineers. With over 200,000 users, people have used Bubble to start companies without technical resources and have even got into Y Combinator 500 startups and raised million dollar rounds. Born in Paris, Emmanuel started computer science and mathematics at Ecole Polytechnic and received his MBA from Harvard Business School. Prior to starting Bubble, uh, Emmanuel was a management consultant in China and now he's based in New York. Uh, welcome to the show, Emmanuel. Hi, it's great to be here. Awesome. So, you know, uh, you have uh, started uh, computer science and mathematics, then you've done your MBA, uh, you became a management consultant. Uh, uh, you know, what made you get into entrepreneurship and startups and uh, build uh, a bubble? It's actually the consequence of me meeting my business partner. Uh, when I got into, um, so when I was at Polytechnic, I wanted to be in business. And at that time, I never thought starting a company would be the right way for me to do it, which is how I started uh, in management consulting. So more of a traditional career, at least like, you know, 15 years ago. And then uh, when I moved to um, Boston, my initial plan with my MBA was to keep it on that track. And uh, toward the end of school, I met, um, I was looking for a job, uh, still not sure I would be starting a company. Also, for immigration reasons, you know, it's not necessarily easy to start a company in the U.S. if you're not a U.S. citizen. So it was not really my first option. And um, since I was still looking for a job, someone put me in touch with a friend of his uh, who had not started the company yet. But I mean, it had a very early prototype of what at that time was not called Bubble yet. And uh, we decided to, uh, we met for coffee and we actually, at the end of the coffee, he asked me, do you want to give it a try and partner on this? And I said, yes. And uh, six years later, we're still here. But it was very much of uh, me meeting, I guess, the right person. So it's kind of a faith thing, uh, not some things that I had like, you know, rationalized and planned a long time ahead. Got it. So, um, so uh, can can you explain to the listeners about uh, what, uh, who, who is Bubble for? And, uh, you know, is it only for students and startups and, uh, you know, how it can help them, uh, you know, grow the businesses or grow their ideas. So, I mean, uh, the long-term vision of Bubble is really to reinvent how programming works and to make that, you know, similarly to what happened, you know, 30 years ago when people were using MS-DOS to use a computer and then Windows and Macintosh uh, emerged and people were using computers with a visual interface. We want to do the same thing with programming computers. So that's the kind of transformation we're trying to operate. We started uh, working a lot with startups and uh, students. When we say students, it's mostly because students are in a great place in life to actually try things and start companies. Because we think that what happens is um, the tools, it's much easier to get someone that is trying to start a company to try something like Bubble versus an existing organization. And so today it's changing a little bit because today we also have small business owners using us a lot, you know, instead of paying you know, 50,000 US dollars to get a product built uh, locally, they can build that entirely themselves basically for free if they know how to use our software and it's much more accessible and faster than writing code. Uh, but back then, the point was really to go for um, entrepreneurs thinking that, you know, if they try a company, they start it, they build it on Bubble, even if the company doesn't work, which most of the type, you know, startups do fail, they have 
acquired that bubble skill that they can bring into other organizations. Which, by the way, I mean, this strategy is, we didn't invent anything. That's the strategy, you know, that made that Slack became uh, what it is. You know, it started really with startups and now, you know, 40, 500 companies use it. There is this trend now that, you know, the stack, technology stack that startups are using becomes basically what 4,500 companies use five years later. And so we're trying to get in that, in that trend. So we're still focusing quite a lot on startups because they're very good use cases for us. As also provide visibility because when a startup um, get, gets into Y Combinator, for instance, where, you know, they get traction, they get press, and, you know, it's a way for us to prove our technology. But the long-term vision is to get really everyone on the platform. It's a long-term plan, though. It's going to take some time. Got it. And, uh, you know, um, how, how can entrepreneurs validate their MVP without hiring an engineer? You know, how much time would it take for them to, to create a, 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 a you know, first draft of a product and, you know, share it either with investors or, 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 to, or, or with other people? Um, well, it depends on the complexity of the product. If you know, uh, based on my experience, because now I've seen, you know, thousands of people using it, if you are comfortable and used to using bubble. So if you spend already a few weeks just building other things and you decide, you know, on Monday morning, I want to build uh, an MVP for an, a marketplace, for instance, or a social network, you know, think about, you know, Airbnb for something or a Twitter for something, you know, in a specific vertical. Right. I think they can be done with that by Friday. Like it's actually very quick, much faster than writing code because the way we do things is you're basically assembling bricks that have been pre-built and the bricks we have is for instance you know save an entry in the database um add a login with facebook button um and so you don't need to rewrite all this code i mean this code has already been written once and you just combine them so it's much faster now now what happens though is that well, after people are done with the initial mvps they keep iterating on the product and so effectively what we see is that people basically modify the product every single day you know based on user feedback. But you can get a product up and running and launch it to the world, whether you know, it's for early users or investors, probably in a week, if you know what you're doing. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. So, um, you know, when people try to create an MVP, you know, they, they, uh, you know back in 1990s, they, they must be spending around $100,000 and this, uh, the cost has come down to 10,000, but uh, how much would it cost to, to create an MVP on, on Bubble? Uh, for them to get well, it, it, it's, it, it's actually free because you do the work yourself. If you were to hire a bubble agent, a bubble agency or a bubble expert, I don't know. You, I've seen people charging, you know, like five thousand US dollars for an app uh, for a web application, but it really depends on you know the agency and what you're asking him to do. If you decide to do that yourself, which I very strongly recommend, because the whole point of bubble is to give power to business people so that they control their product themselves, and you don't need to rely on an engineer to tweak things, and you need to do things. Um, in that case, it's basically free. And then you only start paying when you want to launch your product with your own domain. And then it starts at literally $16 a month. If you start having a lot of traffic, it will go up, you know, because at the end of the day, scale comes at a cost, but you can run a company for 16 bucks a month. Uh, 60, $60. Eh? 16, one six. 16, oh, $16. Okay. Got it. And, and do you also provide a marketplace for, for, um, you know, uh, engineers and other designers to be on a platform or is it, uh, or are you targeting, you know, startups who look who want to do, uh, you know, seed stage, who want to build uh, the, the first prototype of a product, uh, and, and then once they created the product, do they do they stay onto your platform, or or, or do they go away? Or, uh, how how how's the life cycle of a of a company from there? 
Um, so there are a few questions in what you ask here. Um, whether we have a marketplace for agencies and freelancers, uh, we do have a forum, like an online community where people meet a lot. So it's not a marketplace in the sense that we don't take any commission from that, you know, but we, we see a lot of people helping each other, sometimes for free, sometimes for comp uh, money compensation. But that's really that we want to happen, but we don't necessarily, we're not trying to get in the middle of that. Like we provide this online community where people can meet and we're very happy with that. We have a marketplace for templates and plugins, so that's a very different thing when people want to create something and they don't want to start from an empty, pay, empty app from a white page. You could buy a template that is built by someone else and then it is a real marketplace. And then to your last question about the life cycle, our goal is to keep people on the platform as long as possible until the business really starts scaling aggressively. So it's of course challenging because you know sometimes you have you know clients that grow faster than Bubble itself, and so we need to be technically able to support them. Uh, but it's things have gotten much better for the first few years, and that we've been doing Bubble for a long time now because we needed to get to the right product. Uh, for the first few years, when a company would start doing pretty well, they would leave. Today, uh, we managed to keep most of them, actually. Like the company, um, one of the companies that did Y Combinator is still running on us for the entire back office. And I mean, I talk with the guys uh, from time to time. I don't think they're planning on moving in anywhere, which is great. Because, because uh, the important thing for us is, even though people tend to see us at first as an MVP maker and an MVP tool, it's really not our goal. Our goal is to be a full production product. I don't mind people seeing us as an MVP tool at first because it gets them to use us. But then, um, to be honest, like 90% of our coding time and development time goes into making sure things work well at scale. Got it. Um, so, you know, uh, you've been running the company for 2012. Uh, how, how big is your team? And, you know, uh, what are the revenue numbers uh, you're looking at uh, at this financial year? So we currently have uh, eight people. Actually, eight uh, and a half. I mean, one person is half-time helping us with the documentation. But we have eight full-time employees, uh, including the two founders. And um, in the revenue, we're pretty open about that. Uh, we exceeded a million dollars last year. Um, and right, right now, uh, we've grown basically uh, on a more annualized uh, basis because, you know, in our business, because it's a subscription business, what matters is a monthly recurring revenue. We're a little bit above $1.5 million a year. So... Um, growth is nice. I mean, it's, it's not as big as the opportunity is, but it starts being big enough to start investing more heavily in growth. Got it. And, um, you know, can, can you talk about how many number of customers you have and, you know, what's your cost of act acquiring a customer and, and the lifetime value of the customer? If I may. Um, our number of paying customers we have, we have about like 3,500 paying apps. People pay per application. So one person can have multiple apps, okay. which leads to a little bit more than the, almost 2,500 people paying. Uh, our cost of acquisition is actually zero for now because we're not doing paid marketing. We do spend a lot of time animating the community and the forum and our online community has been the main growth driver for Bubble. Uh, and this community can, this growth can happen both online and offline. So what we see is that our users self-organize, independently organize a lot of meetups in uh, pre pretty much everywhere. And so that drives a lot of adoption. And it's a very powerful way to get people because one of the challenges we have with, uh, with something like Bubble is that people don't necessarily believe it works. You know, we heard many times, yeah, it's been promised before, uh, you can't go very far with that, so those products are not good. And so um, 
And so if someone, if I tell you, you should use it, maybe you're not going to believe me because, you know, I'm the founder. Now, if one of your friends used it or someone you met at a meetup tells you, no, believe me, it really works and I'm not associated with them, it's a much stronger referral. And so that works pretty well. And we also see that happening online as well. So um, we very often see on the forum someone, a new user coming in and say, do you think I can build something like this? And then people, uh, people would answer. That's how we acquire customer currently. So people find out through Google, just you know, by doing uh, searches. We don't optimize on the search engines currently um, because our forum generates a lot of traffic, uh, a lot of posts, a lot of content. And so that's pretty well indexed on search engines. And I'm hoping to keep scaling that. Our goal for 2019 is to actually start putting more effort in uh, helping the community gather more, whether you know, it's by you know, subsidizing meetups, organizing conference, there are a lot of things. What we realized with our users, uh, because most of them started as non-technical at all. You know, we do have a few coders that use us, but the vast majority of our users are actually non-technical people. And so they were a little bit, you know, the community of people that wants to create things, but they were not born in a place where they would learn how to code early on. And so they felt that they were not part you know, of the creative movement that you see online currently. And so when you provide them with a tool like Bubble that helps them create, they actually gather and they uh, become friends essentially, which is something very powerful that I want to keep building on. Got it, yeah, because you know, a lot of people are, are non-technical who, who, who have a great idea, want to build a product. And you know, I think a product like Bubble can really fit in and uh, you know, help them to uh, to you know uh, create an create an uh, product out of an idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll bet uh, we actually have a lot of users in India. India has always been a very strong. Uh, we started getting paying customers in India back in 2013, so actually very early on. Um, I'll bet is that there are a ton of people out there. You know, sometimes uh, we hear, well, not that many people want to create things. And my view is, you know, if the tools are easy enough. Uh, there are a ton of people that want to create things. And the easier the tool gets, the more people want to create things. Because right now, the problem is that a lot of people are just not aware it's possible, which is why you know, we need to do better work at evangelizing this idea that you can create things without code. But my personal vision is that there are a ton of people out there that want to do that. Got it. So, so you know, I, I want to know, do you have any competitors? Uh, I know there's a company called engineer.ai. Do, do you think they're... Uh, they compete with you people or, you know, uh, what, what is the goal ahead for Bubble? Um, so not really, actually. So engineer.ai is a little bit more like Geekster. It's a little bit more of an agency type of thing, you know, where um, they have um, a, a team of, you know, people that are build, using reusable elements to build things. I know they're launching a builder, but it's pretty new. So I can't talk too much about it. I haven't seen it. Um, we we actually currently don't have like a strict um, a strict competitor that does exactly the same thing as we do in the same positioning. There are a few tools out there that are pretty good to build things with uh, that you know people would call no code or low code platforms, but they usually target much more enterprise customers. So uh, Mendix, for instance, is one of them that just got acquired by uh, their largest customers, Siemens, for a lot of money. Microsoft has a tool like that. It's called Paraps. Usually the way those products are built and the way they're priced are much more compatible for enterprise. And so our users today don't really see them as an option just because they're too expensive. It's basically, if you think about our long-term strategy, you have two ways to get to the end goal, which is, you know, make that everyone use a no-code platform to build software. You have the way that goes to enterprise where you can get a lot of money 
pretty early on, but then you become an enterprise tool. Or you can go with individual, but that you know you need to build a community. And as soon as you have a ton of people that use you, they're going to eventually bring you inside larger corporations and you get to the end goal. Our bet is that individuals and startups are the way to get there. Uh, so far, since we're not too many in that space, it's good. Um, but maybe that will change over time. We'll see. Got it. And, um, uh, 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 you know, you've, you've been a part of uh, Harvard Business School. Uh, you see a lot of uh, companies of, uh, you know, who, uh, where the founders are from Harvard Business School. Uh, so why was the reason to, you know, uh, not raise any funds for, for Bubble? Uh, or, or do you see yourself raising funds in future? Uh, so there are two questions here. The reason why we didn't raise money initially uh, was because we felt, and I think on that one, we actually were right, that uh, the development cycle for a product like Bubble is just pretty slow compared to most products, like web products out there. Um, because I, I was talking about the skepticism around the idea of Bubble. You know, um, people, many people are like, yeah, it's been promised before and no one succeeded. So you need to have a very, very good product to even pretend you have an MVP. Basically, you need your users to be able to build pretty much any kind of MVPs um, for you to say you have an MVP, if that makes sense. And uh, doing that takes a lot of time. For us, we got to that point after like three years, three years and a half. And I think uh, the, problem, and the problem when you raise money is that usually you impose yourself a time frame where within 18 months, because when you raise money is for you know, a, month and a, half, a year and a half, um, you need to raise another round. And raising another round when you haven't been yet on the market and you haven't been able to prove you know, some kind of revenue growth or traction is extremely hard. And that's what we've seen with some of the teams that try to do what we were doing and raise money is that after two years, they have something, you know, but it's not something that has like a very fast growth, uh, very exponential charts. And so they end up shutting down because they can't raise uh, more money. And so, so far, I think it's been pretty good for us. It, it was painful at times because, you know, when you don't have money, sometimes, you know, like, well, firstly, you live on your own savings for like two or three years. And uh, it does slow down, you know, how fast you can hire people. It has changed last year. Last year, we started getting an inflection point, And now our revenue, uh, basically, we can pay our entire team with revenue pretty comfortably. Now, for the future, are we going to raise money or not? Uh, this is something we're considering. We'll see if we do this. Um, what I can say that I, I know now the company is in a good shape to start taking funding because the fundamentals, the critical mass of community is there to start moving a little bit faster. So it's definitely more of an option than it was. Uh, we'll see if we pull the trigger in 2019. Got it. And, and, and you know, you, you built Bubble out of New York, which is like one of the most expensive uh, real estate places. So, um, so was yeah. that a conscious choice or do, do you think, uh, you know, Canada and a few other places are, are actually, Cubic is, has got a lot of SaaS companies over there. So do you, do you think, uh, you know, New York has that kind of talent or, you know, you have that kind of vibe to build, uh, you know, great tech companies? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I do think New York is a great place to build tech companies. And I would actually argue to build a company like Bubble, it's a very good place. And the reason is New York is a little bit less opinionated than San Francisco about, you know, how things should work. And New York 
companies and New York investors, actually, I mean, we haven't raised money, but I know investors here, they tend to care more about the result and how you get there. And when you do something like visual programming, even though, I mean, what I think what we do is pretty serious on the coding side, sometimes, you know, you do things a little bit differently than, you know, what most coders would do. And that, um, and that, um, and that, um, sorry, um, that can sometimes harm the company a little bit because you end up doing things not in a completely, you know, pragmatic way. So I think that's great. Now for the cost of living, yes, it's definitely tough. If it were to do it again for the two of us, like my business partner and I, I may have, uh, I may say that we, we probably should have stayed in Boston because I was in Boston for school. I was graduating from Harvard. Uh, yeah. for the first two or three years because that's a much cheaper cost of living and you still can find a lot of very good engineers. But on the other hand, it was just the two of us. So the additional cost was just for ourselves. You see what I mean? Like it was not necessarily a very big financial impact for the company. Um, now that we're getting bigger though and with the attraction power that New York has in terms of talent, I think this is be getting better and better to hire people. You know, Amazon is moving here. So Amazon moving here is going to drag a lot of attract um, good talent to New York. They're going to be paid a lot of money, so that's going to make the place more expensive, but that's also going to lead to a lot of like smart engineers at some point wanted to jump ship from a big company like Amazon to go to um, a startup, and then, you know, we'll be there to welcome them. Got it. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, how, do, how do you divide the roles between you and your founder? Uh, are they, uh, do, you, do you look at the product side or does he look at the marketing side? How, how, how do you do? Um, uh, you know, how did you go about dividing the roles and responsibilities? Yeah, well, it's, it's something that has been interesting because we've never had titles over the years. So for the first five years, it was just the two of us. And now that we have a team, we have to structure things a little bit, but we actually don't have titles. Uh, I mean, we both founders, basically. Uh, the way we split things is uh, like the deeper technical aspects, the infrastructure and the architecture, you know, making sure bubble never goes down is on my business partner. On Josh, I care. I, I uh, take care more of the product itself. So, product being different from infrastructure, you know, and architecture. Product is really what people interact with. You know, how the product works and the kind of features we have. Then the documentation, uh, which is part of the product. I also manage uh, marketing, communication, and community. So, more of the external face of the company. And to be honest, when it's about you know the important uh, business matters, you know, well, should we raise money or not? You know, should we? try to go after this kind of market or this kind of market, we take all those decisions together. We got to the point where after six years working together, um, we trust each other enough to know that uh, if the other person is not asking whether he needs uh, to chat about a decision, that means he knows the other person would agree anyway. You know, Because we've been through enough decision-making things over the last six years that I know when I make a decision, if Josh would agree or not. And if I'm not sure he would agree, then I talk about it. If I'm sure he agrees, then we don't lose time. Got it. Yeah, I mean, co-founders like you know, you're almost like uh, sort of a marriage. Uh, so you you know, over time, oh, yeah. you try to understand, uh, you know, what the other person does. In a, it's in very a, much like the marriage. Interesting. So uh, let's do the top three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Uh, so I don't read a ton of business books actually. Like uh, I, I went to business school, but I never thought I would go to business school when I was in China. It's startup came uh, late. I did, however, have a very good time reading uh, Mark Benioff's book, you know, about the Salesforce story. It's called Behind the Cloud. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know if it's the best uh, business book out there, but it certainly related a lot to me because in many ways you could think of Bubble as the next iteration of Salesforce in 2015 or 2018. 
uh, Salesforce was about putting small business, putting tools for small businesses to start managing, you know, the customer relationships in the cloud. We putting we creating tools so that small businesses can actually create those products themselves. So it's an next situation, and I can feel like even though it was 20 years ago, a lot of the challenges and decisions they had to make early on relate a lot to uh, what we have to do every day. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, I think Salesforce was like a pioneer of, you know, subscription businesses and... Uh, well, yeah, uh, I mean, they, 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 they basically created the SaaS industry, correct. Uh, like the SaaS subscription model, which, right. uh, which, which is what we use. And I mean, it is a fantastic business model. No, absolutely. So, you know, if you could go back in time when you started Bubble, what is the one thing you would have focused on? Um... So what we focused on, what we did, um, was focusing on only customers and the product. So we were fortunate enough to find paying customers after six months. And even though there weren't many of them, it was literally a few tens of people. We would talk to them like literally every day on Skype, which when you create a product that is open-ended like Bubble and you can have a lot of different features, you have to be careful not to confuse users. And so to, talking to them was very good. So. I actually think we were pretty smart to do things that way. Um, if it were, if it were to do things a little bit differently, I would probably have tried to uh, communicate about the vision and the company a little bit earlier than we have. Like we were basically hidden for three years, talking with customers, and we waited for three years for a public launch. It turned out pretty well. We could potentially and probably have done that a little bit earlier which would have helped us gather more feedback. On the other hand, it's a tricky decision actually, to be honest, because if you have like five users that you know well and you watch using the product every day, that might actually be more valuable than a thousand people that fill a survey online. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but if I had to do something a little bit different, I would probably focus a little bit more on communication earlier uh, to start preparing, you know, um, the evangelization. Our biggest challenge today is to evangelize on this idea that you can create things without code. And it's always easier once you have a product. So, you know, this is going fairly well now because now we have those examples and those case studies we can show. But it did take uh, a lot of time to get there. And had we started a little bit uh, earlier, that would have sped up the process a little bit. Got it. And uh, what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail or Slack? Uh, I'm an email person. I'm actually not a, I mean, we use Slack a lot for, uh, to control our infrastructure. So we have a bot, so we can see how the servers are doing and everything through Slack, but I don't actually use it too much for communication. Um, I like the not uh, real time interactions on email. I like taking my time to answer if I need to take some time. Got it. And you know, what are the best way people can reach out to you and uh, get to know more about Bubble? Um, the best, so, I mean, uh, if you sign up to Bubble uh, and it's free, you would actually get an email uh, sent uh, from, it would be my name, but it goes to our team. So you have basically two good ways to know about Bubble. It's uh, support at bubble or contact at bubble.is, which is a good way to basically get in touch with the team. And if, uh, if someone mentions, you know, uh, they heard me uh, on this podcast, that would actually come to me because I would read those messages myself and myself, um, depending on how many there were, but, you know, I'll do my best. If people want to interact uh, with the community and are curious about, you know, what can you do? Is this thing real? I actually think our users are the best people to talk to more than us, because of course, you know, we're selling something. Well, you know, our, our users are not. And then the forum, like forum.bubble.is is probably the best place to ask for advice. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Emmanuel, I really enjoyed talk, uh, talking to you. Thank you very much for coming over. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, me too. I had a great time. Thank you very much for uh, for this. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>